We're going to look at Matthew chapter, chapter 1 this evening, chapter 1 and 2. You know, Christianity, it dares to claim that God has made himself known in the person of Jesus. Let me say that again. Christianity, it dares to claim that God has made himself known in the person of Jesus. And surprising everyone, Jesus stepped into the brokenness of life and took on the very stuff we're made of. In the book of Matthew, it communicates this story with beauty and clarity. I want us to listen for the way Matthew actually highlights how Jesus is the promised king who has arrived to save his people from their sins. So as we read, let's keep that in mind. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had uh, commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel." Well, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard uh, the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And we'll stop there. There are three responses to Jesus in this particular text that I want us to see this evening. One, a son to accept. Two, a threat to control. And three, a king to worship. 
And first, let's look at a son to accept. This is something Joseph had to wrestle with. You know, marriage customs in New Testament times was a two-stage process. That you had engagement and you had the wedding. Engagement was a legally binding contract. It was a formal agreement made before witnesses that could only be broken by actually going through a, with a divorce. So they were committed to one another, pledged to be married. And so this personal dilemma is happening from the start of our text here this evening. Mary's pregnant. And Joseph knows it's not his baby. He knows. You know, when Valerie, my wife Valerie, told me uh, that she was pregnant uh, with our third son here recently, (laughs) when she told me on that spring evening of 2018 that she was pregnant, my knees literally went weak. And the breath went out from my lungs. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not making this up. I was on the phone. I was camping with my kids and my nieces. And then she's like, "Uh, I think I'm pregnant. Ah, okay. That surprised me. I was shocked. But you know what she didn't tell me? She didn't tell me uh, what the angel told Joseph, that this happened by the Holy Spirit. She didn't say an angel visited visited with me and the Holy Spirit did this. I want you to imagine how painful and confusing this conversation with Mary must have been for Joseph. So Matthew gives us Joseph's perspective And we learn Mary's perspective more from the Gospel of Luke. But these are real people. And Joseph must have been very confused, and it must have hurt to find out that his his wife-to-be, who he is engaged to, legally bound to, is pregnant. So the only natural conclusion was that Mary was unfaithful to him. This is adultery. And so Joseph faced a cultural dilemma in addition to his personal dilemma. If Joseph married her, if he went through with the marriage, he then approves of her sin of adultery. And so he has two choices really before him. One, just make it known publicly. Just make it known. She becomes the centerpiece of ridicule in her community and disgrace. Or two, divorce her quietly, where he could, among two or three witnesses, do that. And we learn something of Joseph's character, don't we? He chooses to divorce her quietly. That's his game plan, at least, until he goes to sleep and is interrupted in a dream. So before Joseph could go through with the divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel says. That's how the angel addresses Joseph. King David was, the promised, was promised that his throne would never end. So there was this anticipation. I'm talking intense anticipation during this time in Israel for a coming king, a Messiah, who would deliver them, the anointed one, who would deliver them from oppression and injustice, And in particular, the strong arm of Rome over them. The angel visits Joseph and he says, Joseph, son of David. Yeah, you're you're the heir of David. The promise has been given to your family that the one who comes from your family will be on a throne forever. King would reign, a Messiah, an anointed one. The angel's reminding Joseph of his heritage and of the promise given, not only to Israel, but to Joseph's family. So even though Jesus would be born of the Holy Spirit, miraculously, he would still be an heir of David. He would still be Joseph's son. He would be given the privilege to name his son. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't go through with your plans, Joseph. She's going to give birth to a son, and you are going to give him the name Jesus. You have a part to play in all of this, Joseph. 
You're going to name him. And Jesus means Yahweh saves. God saves. It's signifying the anticipation of deliverance from oppressors, but here the angel speaks of another oppressor not previously in view. He will save his people from their sin. From their sin. So this puts in front of us the very reason why Jesus is born. Why he came. Then in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. So Matthew is basically telling us, the reader, that this is happening to fulfill what the prophets had spoken of. These are promises that are being met and answered by God to bring a redeemer, to bring that promised king. So here the story is about fulfillment, about God meeting uh, his promises, answering his promises. And Isaiah 7.14 is brought up, and, and this is happening to fulfill what was promised there. In the dark days of Israel, 700 years prior, promises were made by God that a descendant of David would sit on the throne forever. And yes, Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7.14, speaking of this virgin, yes, it was a prophecy of judgment in that context for Israel in that day. But hope it remained, and it was fulfilled here, actually in Jesus He speaks of Jesus being God with us. God with us. I want to read some other uh, prophetic words that come from Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Go to verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's what's happening here. We'll go back to Matthew. When Joseph woke up, he determined never to eat Thai food again. (laughs) What a dream, right? No, it's not what he, how did he respond? He obeyed. He accepted and submitted, and that required faith. Sometimes we miss that in the Christmas story. Joseph's role and the faith required, the courage required. You know what it meant for Joseph? It meant that, that he would be in the line of fire culturally. He would be open to public disgrace and ridicule. Everyone would assume that he impregnated Mary before they were actually married. But it also meant that he would be the adoptive father of a son, an heir to the throne of David. The fulfillment of promises made by God to save his people from their sin. That's what it meant for Joseph. And he had to accept that. There was a son here to accept. Well, second, we see a threat to control. And we see this with Herod. You know, Magi were coming to to worship Jesus. They were looking for uh, this king who was born. And Magi, uh, they're a bit mysterious. They're part astronomer, astrologer, scientist, royal court official, counselor. They were a respected position of the day. We don't know the exact number. We know there were three treasures that they brought. doesn't mean there were only three of them. 
but they're from the east, maybe Persia or Babylon. And they say, we saw his star when it rose. And what's happening here? What's happening is a significant uh, astronomical observation is being made. That's what's happening. Was this the alignment of planets or a comet, a supernova? Was this supernatural? I think so. The Magi would have been influenced by the Jewish scriptures. There would have been a Jewish community uh, in Babylon for sure. We don't know exactly how the Magi ended up calculating everything that would eventually lead them to Jesus, but they did it. And they, they noticed these strange events happening in the stars and they searched out its meaning. They were determined to honor and to worship this newborn king. If they came from Babylon, they would have traveled 900 miles, over 900 miles, which required time and money and sacrifice and planning and risk to their own personal safety. And they go straight to Herod, who is the official king of the Jews. I mean, this is Herod the Great. I don't know if you know much about the Herods. This is Herod the Great, who was a cruel, paranoid, unpredictable egomaniac. He killed his first wife and a couple of his sons after that. He killed his his oldest son just before he himself died. Herod was afraid. He was afraid of losing power. He was afraid of being attacked from the east in particular, and so historically he built these military fortresses along the east border. And here are these magi coming from the east, probably with a pretty large entourage, maybe some guards. I wonder what's going on in Herod's head. I think he's freaking out. He is paranoid, and in a paranoid frenzy, he calls his chief priests and teachers together to find out what the law, what the word of God actually is saying about this newborn king. And they, they say that, well, this one will be born in Bethlehem. This is the birthplace of King David. And Herod is not overjoyed. He's deeply troubled and distressed. He acted as if he wanted to worship this king, but in reality, he sought to control the situation and eventually kill him. We didn't read it, but you can read on, and that's exactly what it says. He sought to kill Jesus. Jesus was a threat to him. Herod was an imposter, truly. What was Herod ultimately afraid of losing? Control. Jesus was a threat to the control that Herod thought he was holding on to. I wonder if Jesus is a threat to you this evening and to the control you might think you're holding on to. We think we're in control. Are we afraid of what Jesus requires of us? It can be a bit scary. What does this mean to encounter this divine king? What does it require of me? These are good questions to ask. Have you seen Jesus as a son to accept or as a threat to control? Well, let's keep going. Finally, he is a king to worship. And these foreigners who come from the east, these magi who we really don't know much about, who took a lot of time and effort and money to get to Jesus, they recognize him as the king who is worthy of worship. And so interestingly, Matthew sets in contrast the eagerness of the magi who are foreigners to worship Jesus despite their limited knowledge of God's word with the stubbornness of the Jewish leaders, in particular, King Herod, who had the scriptures. You see what's going on there? 
These foreigners, they're there, and they are eager to worship. And the ones who have the scriptures are fighting against it. Now, how did the Magi respond? Well, they were overjoyed, Matthew tells us. They bowed down and they worshiped. They had already displayed a conviction that drove them to great lengths. I mean, we know that if they traveled 900 miles and they responded with sacrifice and with honor. They presented these treasures fit for a king. I mean, that's what they are. These treasures are fit for a king. And it's why they came. What we see them doing, probably almost two years after Jesus' birth, when they come uh, before Mary and, and, and Jesus and they lay these treasures, they are presenting treasures that are fit for a king. And they are recognizing Jesus as a king because that is exactly what he is. And so here we have in this beautiful story, it's, it's, it's a picture of what God is doing, not only for Israel, but for all the nations. And eventually, uh, this story has reached our ears and transformed our hearts thousands of years later. Now, we're the foreigners. This story that grew out of Israel and the history of Israel and was meant not only for Israel, but for the nations has reached us. And here it is, this prophetic fulfillment that all the nations would encounter this king and bow before him. So the question this evening here on Christmas Eve is, how do you respond to this child? We read this story, and maybe you've read it, uh, you know, hundreds of times. But how are you responding to Jesus, regardless of where you are in your, in your faith journey? It doesn't matter if you've embraced Jesus as Messiah. It, well, it does matter. If you recognize him as king, or if, if you're simply asking questions, and you're leaning in, and you're, you're curious, how are you going to respond right here and now? And moving forward, is he a son to accept? Is he a threat to control? Or is he a king to worship? Is he the son of David? Is he the promised king? Or is he a threat? He overturns our tiny kingdoms where we've placed ourselves at the center. He opens up our eyes to the beauty of his rule. Yes, I said the beauty of his rule. Because his rule is a just and righteous and loving rule. He opens our eyes to the power of his might over our sin and shame. Oh, let's remember again why Jesus came. He came to provide forgiveness of sins. He came and he took on the stuff we're made of, skin and bones. He stepped into the darkness, into the brokenness of this life. He took on suffering and died a death for you and me. And that was the plan the entire time. Why? to provide a way for sins to be forgiven, to provide a way for us to be reconciled with the living God. What hope, what joy. And when I say hope, I don't mean wishful thinking. I mean certainty. Forgiveness of sins is found only in Jesus. He's the king, the conqueror, not only of Rome and of any other oppressor of our life, but of sin and death. So what treasures will you offer Jesus this evening? The Magi knew. They brought him treasures, treasures fit for a king. Yeah, I wondered this. What treasures do we have that we could offer Jesus? Our very lives. I want my life to be lived as a treasure, a sacrifice of praise to the Lord.
He's worth it. You know, Matthew is making very clear that Jesus is the Son who will save, and He is the King who was promised. He is God with us, and He is God for us. He came to save people from their sin. And so like Joseph who woke up from his dream and obeyed, will you obey and accept him as the son? And like the Magi who worshiped, will you bow down and lay gifts before him? Will you lay your life before him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. But what can we say? We'll forever be saying thank you. This glorious mystery. God with us. You're not some distant deity, indifferent, uninvolved. You love us. And you've shown that love in Jesus, your son. Oh, you've made it so clear. You provided a way for us to be made right and to be made whole. You provided a savior to lift the darkness and oppression and the sin, and the shame, and to reconcile us to yourself. God, thank you. Thank you for that. Let us live. Let us respond this evening and forever with a life lived now for you. A sacrifice of praise. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.